Hello, and welcome to Disability Decoded. I'm Nadine, your host. I'm a New York-based performer, writer, accent and dialect teacher, and now podcaster. I'm really happy you've decided to join me today, and I would love it that if you enjoy my podcast, to share it with your friends who might be interested. My mission is to spread the word and help make the world just a smidge kinder. While a lot of what I say will be political in nature, because what isn't political? I will not have this become a jeering house like Prime Minister's questions often is. My stance is left, but that does not mean I disregard the views of the right. If you want to learn and to be civil, then I will welcome your conversation, but I will not stand for nonsense. My view on the world is valid and I will not be demeaned by anyone, no matter where in the chamber they sit and no matter their ability. You have been warned. Now, into the topic for today. I thought we could start with Disability Pride Month, which is in July. So, this month. This is news to me too, if you didn't know that as well. It coincides with the passing of the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990. So, happy 32nd birthday, ADA. The ADA was passed to prohibit the discrimination of disabled persons in alignment to what protections were granted during the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and this month is to recognise and celebrate that disability is a natural part of human diversity. Like other Pride and History Months, Disability Pride also comes with flying a flag. The Disability Pride flag was created by Anne McGill, a disabled woman and each of its elements symbolises a different part of the disabled community. The Black Field This field represents the disabled people who have lost their lives, not only due to their illness, but also due to negligence, suicide and eugenics. The Colours Each colour on this flag represents a different aspect of disability or impairment. Red is for physical disabilities. Yellow, cognitive and intellectual disabilities. White, invisible and undiagnosed disabilities. Blue, mental illness. And green, sensory perception disabilities. There are also localised parades across the United States in cities like New York, LA, Chicago, San Francisco, San Antonio and others and it's been celebrated in other countries like the United Kingdom, Norway, Germany and South Korea. It's also received media attention in South Africa. I feel that the word pride evokes an odd feeling for me. Other movements, such as within the LGBTQ plus community, for example, don't give me the same feelings like a chronic condition that causes me pain. That's not what other pride events usually celebrate. <laughs> no, love is love and that is absolutely worth fighting for. 
but I have trouble feeling proud of my illness that causes disability. Am I ashamed of it? No, absolutely not. But there are feelings and such like that I would not call myself proud. It's a part of me and a part of my life. It's helped me become an advocate and wanted to create this podcast, but I would hasten to use the word proud. If you want to use the word proud and are so, rock on. And we are still within the same chapter, the same book, but the word pride gives me different feelings. Especially given how inaccessible many LGBTQ plus pride events are, and I think calling it that gives an impression that we are all united. And whilst I think so many of us within marginalised communities want to be and say we are, we just aren't. You can comment on my Instagram about what you think of that and what I just said. I love friendly debates. So whilst I feel a little disconnected to the word pride, I would still say we need it and we need the month. If you don't agree, it's probably because you've not been in a situation that's had you been discriminated against and I invite you to listen to more of my podcast. In each episode, I want to speak about certain illnesses and disabilities that causes particular difficulties on stage or within the performance area. Today, I thought I'd talk about me and my condition, hypermobility spectrum disorder. This, if you don't already know, is a group of musculoskeletal connective tissue disorders characterised by symptomatic joint hypermobility that cannot be explained by other conditions. Symptoms of this condition not only include varying degrees of hypermobility, but symptoms like chronic pain, I, for example, am always in some sort of pain, and this can range from mild to severe. Disturbed proprioception, which is the sense of the relative position of parts of the body and how much effort is needed for movement, and this can be reduced. Not understanding where my joints are and how much muscle strength is needed can lead to a cycle that will increasingly limit my ability to manage everyday life. Macro trauma includes joint dislocations. Even in areas you might not associate with such trauma, like the floating rib and the first metatarsal in your foot. Subluxations, which is a partial dislocation. And connective soft tissue damage. And no matter how many times my shoulder dislocates, and no matter how many times I reduce it myself, it's always going to hurt. Microtraumas are often too small to be noticed as they happen, but over time they may make someone susceptible to recurrent and persistent pain and possible early onset osteoarthritis. HSD is often diagnosed when other conditions have been ruled out, like HEDS or Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome which comes in many various different types, of which I believe the hypermobile type is the most common, but the only one in which a specific gene or fault to cause condition has yet to be found. In some people, joint hypermobility can be without all of these unpleasant symptoms, with the exception of the unusual mobility and these are often the kids in your class you call double-jointed, 
the ones who did tricks and were often good with musical instruments like the violin and maybe really good at gymnastics. So, how does this affect performance? Well, for me, it can make the rehearsal period difficult, for example, as they are often involving really long days and repeating similar movements over and over again. It gets more troublesome with an aggravated knee or can start on with hip pain, for example. I often get fatigued quickly, which can create the impression I'm either lazy or unfit for the role and or career. This was especially so in the conservatory I attended in New York. The school itself was only accessible via several flights of stairs. My grandmother had issues when I went for my audition. And many of the faculty, although experienced and passionate, seemed to only believe in suffering for your art and had purist ideas of the theatre in general. Many of them had me believe I was unfit for a career and tried to remove me from the school and they underestimated my determination. Whilst I was already working in some capacity prior to attending the conservatory, I did think that professionally I just wouldn't be able to keep up. But that hasn't been completely the case. If I'm filming, call sheets are sent out before the day of the shoot. This means that I know what I'm filming, what scene I need to know, and who will be there. So knowing that a scene includes a lot of running beforehand is always helpful so I can bring anything I might need like ankle braces I can hide under my socks or certain medicines or when I should probably go to bed the night before. Unfortunately these sheets are often only sent out a few days if not the day before the shoot so if I'm in the midst of a bad flare that doesn't help. If it was sent out the week before, I'd have some time to try not to exert myself, but I understand the nature of filming and how this is a bit of an unrealistic ask. One can dream, however. If I'm in the theatre, I will be open about my condition, and thus far I've been met with kindness and patience. Contrary to popular belief at school, with faculty members and some of my peers, I am not lazy and thankfully people I've worked with so far have seen that. Of course, I also graduated during a little something recently we may all remember, called a pandemic. So we're only just getting back into it, and I'm sure I'll meet some of the nastiness soon, of which I can't wait. Theatres too can be inaccessible. There is a belief that certain buildings fall under a grandfather loophole, in which, because of their age, they cannot be updated because it will destroy their character. This is actually not the case, and the ADA does not have any such provision. However, there is a safe harbour provision, which exists in the 2010 ADA regulations. City and state governments erroneously believe that because it is expected to make a building accessible within reasonable expectation that they don't have to upgrade the building because of the so-called destruction of character, non-existent clause. Title II of the ADA is actually flexible. You're not being asked to destroy the building, you are being asked to make it accessible. A ramp does not destroy character. I've been to castles where they put in railing next to dilapidated stairs. It didn't do anything to take away the medieval feel of a rotten castle. No one asked for an elevator to be put there. 
Within reasonable means, you're being asked to upgrade, and that does include having to remove some architectural aspects to achieve this. Within reasonable means, you are being asked to upgrade, and that does include having to remove some architectural aspects to achieve this. You can also receive financial help for this from a, a building owner who is unlikely to want to be seen as ableist, and this is especially true in a big company. Why hark for a time when discrimination was rife? The building may be pretty, but I prefer accessibility over aesthetics. So while patrons may be able to access the theatre more easily, backstage is a completely different story. Before my Ali Stroker has spoken about this, and I know that the backstage of Oklahoma was transformed for her to quickly navigate in her wheelchair. I do know that this was removed as soon as the show left and was probably only accommodated because she was bringing in a lot of dollar for the theatre. This is a different story for me as I don't have the name Ali does and is an issue for many other disabled and chronically ill performers. And because we aren't as well known, we won't bring in the cash bigger names will, so we're often overlooked. If you're in New York City and can go and see Free Shakespeare in the Park to watch their production of Richard III, it features not only Ali Stroker as Lady Anne, but also has the Duchess of York sign in American Sign Language and other performers who are disabled. It's great for inclusivity. Also, if you're in the UK, you can see the Royal Shakespeare Company's production of Richard III as well, that includes the first disabled actor as Richard. Historically, the monarch had scoliosis, and for some, this can be disabling, so it's great to see it. For this time, though, my pilot episode is coming to an end. I hope to make these episodes longer, with guests and other sections, and I thank you for being so patient with me as I learn to make this great to listen to, as well as making this accessible for those who are deaf and of hard of hearing. I welcome any and all constructive criticisms and advice. For today, though, have a lovely one.